You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Meddahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB or get your 24-7 fix on women's basketball at The Summit, Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat. Follow us on Facebook. Go ahead and grab the app, iOS and Android. See Doug Feinberg, who joins us. That's how you self-promote. Doug, thank you for being back on the program. First in our hearts, first on the Imani Boyette trade news. Thanks, Howard. I appreciate it. And yes, you do a really nice job of self-promoting there. Oh. If they can't find your stuff in the summer, which has done a great job so far, I appreciate they don't that. know where they're looking. Fair enough. Well, I certainly hope they're following you. As the, among other things, reporter who was live at the U23 camps. And so I want to get into that with you. Um, just from a macro sense, first of all, can you take me through what, what you saw just in terms of the sheer amount of talent there, the sheer amount of talent that is uh, flowing into the USA basketball uh, program at this point? There, There is a wealth of talent in USA basketball at every level. I know the, the U19 just came up short winning the silver medal the other day, but mm-hmm. this U23 team that they put together and the camp they have with 36 of the best players in college basketball right now, the future is definitely bright for the USA, although it's bright right now, I guess, because they haven't lost a Olympic medal in uh, six Olympics, but they are they are something to watch. This is going to be a fun college season coming up, and down the road, five, ten years from now, the future is definitely secure with the group they have. Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, losing to Russia seems like a theme that uh, is part of 2017 as a whole, but certainly USA basketball overall. I, I, I mean, when you think about the dominance that they've had, it's almost a strange thing that you could see the best years yet to come, but I think you could argue that 2016 was the best of the USA basketball senior teams we've had yet. Do, do you see it that way, and do you see the teams getting even better as we go forward? It's sort of a crazy thing to think about, given how dominant they've been. Um, you know, people have asked me that after the Olympics. It's a tough question to answer. I mean, how do you compare teams that won by an average of 31 points or a team that won an average by 29 points. Right. I mean, it's dominant either way. I think, I mean, every year you have it strong faster. So, put that in, whatever you want to call it, they're going to be very good. So, I hate to say one team on another one or the 2020 team is better than the 2016 team. They're all very, very good. They're all very, very dominant and they all have their own places in the history of USA basketball. True, true. Well, it certainly will be fascinating to see. Let's talk about some of these players at U23, you know, who are going to be part of the future of this program. A place I'd love to start is just what you've seen out of Asia Durr, who seemed to have a really terrific camp. She did. She played really, really well. I'm sure it helped that Jeff Walls, her college coach, was the head coach of this team. As far as knowing what to expect for drills and things, not that Jeff would play favorites at all, sure. but just that she knew what Jeff looks for in a player and what he looks for as far as like when they do a, a breakdown drill for the guards, that she's already got that sort of step ahead there. So she she looked really good. She shot well. She played pretty good defense. The biggest thing I'll tell you, Howard, they they started out the camp with Gina Oriana talking to the players, and it had nothing to do with X's and O's. It was all about what it takes to make a USA basketball team. If you think about it, the 36 kids that were there, they can all score. They can all, sh- they can all rebound. 
So how do you separate yourself? And that's what it means to be a really good teammate, how to really impress the committees, what you can do off the court or when you don't have the basketball, if you're hustling up and down the court all the time. And I think they all got that. And, and to me, as I said, Dora was impressive on the court with her obviously shooting and, and drill work, but I thought she was very good off the court as well. Well, you know, Gino's a motivational speaker, uh, you, like, like few others, so obviously the hope that is that he's able to move from a consultant and get a head coaching gig at some point. We wish him all the best of luck in his future endeavors. Asia Durr specifically, though, the difference between what you saw out of her last year and this year, are there additional skills that you think uh, take her game to another level? The reason why I asked is just it was my opinion that she was robbed of uh, being conference player of the year last year. I think it was something she deserved. Has she gone beyond even what she was able to do last year for Louisville? You know, to be honest, Howard, I don't know if I can answer that. Vinzelli saw her for three days limited time. Fair I enough. mean, I was impressed with what she did. And it was, again, I mean, in a, a group of really, really talented players. So I can't tell you she's done X to improve her game, because as you said, her game was really good to begin with. Right. Um, but I was impressed with her. I mean, I don't see her as much being in the Northeast, like day-to-day, but watching for three days, I was really impressed with the kid. Yeah, really one to watch. Highly recommend it to anyone if you haven't had the chance to. Uh, there are two more who obviously are somewhat more difficult to see on the East Coast. Uh, a pair of UCLA players and Monique Billings and Jordan Canada. I want to take each in turn, but I think it's worth noting, you know, they were the central figures for a UCLA team that kept Connecticut close in this past NCAA tournament. No one will ever talk about it uh, historically because of what Mississippi State went out and did subsequent to that. But they played an incredible game, I thought, both of them uh, against UConn. So uh, talk to me about what you saw out of their uh, games this summer. It's not surprising to me that that they've been as impressive as they have been. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they gave uh, UConn a really good game, and those two are a big part of it. Billings is a ball of energy. I mean, she goes out and grabs every rebound. She hustles. She runs the floor very well. She had a, an unbelievable block on Gabby Williams of UConn during one of the games that I saw when I was out there. And just, I mean, the one drawback, I think she, she's still working on her finishing a little bit. I mean, she missed a couple of shots. She probably is going to make when the season starts just because, I mean, she only had a couple of days of practice, I'm sure, before this and getting ready for it. But, she, she was impressive. I mean, she, I think, had 15 rebounds in one of, in one of the games, or maybe a few more than that. The stats were tough to come by. But she was she was an offensive and defensive force. And, again, on the boards, something that you look for because everyone can score. So you need someone to actually grab the rebounds and, and do the dirty work, so to speak. So, I, I mean, as far as Billings goes, and I'm curious your thought about this, because when the conversation for the draft comes up, Rightfully so, Gabby Williams is in that conversation right away. Asia Wilson is in that conversation right away. But it strikes me that there may be no one who's more ready to contribute at the WNBA level on day one than Monique Billings because of, like you said, the athleticism, which means she's going to be a defensive problem uh, for you know, an array of threes, fours, and fives, depending on how you want to deploy her, an immediate contributor on the boards. And then, you know, what as the offense comes, you know, that just sort of adds to the total. Do you see it that way for her as well? Yeah, that's a very good, very good way to look at it. I mean, she is going to be a problem for whoever has to guard her at any level because of stuff like the intangibles. 
you can game plan to sort of stop a shooter because you just get them out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But somebody who's more based their game on hustle and rebound and that sort of thing on the defense end as well, it's tougher to game plan for because that's an intangible thing to stop. You can't right. get somebody out of their hustle zone, so to speak. So the flip side of that UCLA duo is Jordan Canada. And, you know, what's really impressed me about Canada's game so far, for a young point guard, for someone who pushes the action, who looks to make plays, she makes very few mistakes. If you, if you look at the top 30, and, and you know, I'm throwing a number at you, the top 30 in assist percentage last year, there were only a handful of players who were below 15% in turnover percentage. And uh, they were some of the best guards in the game, one of them being Jordan Canada. What do you think of her overall playmaking skills and her poise at this point in history? And what else stood out to you about her? I mean, she was great. Everything you said, you love your numbers and, and the eye <laughs> test can back it up. She played, she played great. The, the few games I saw her play out there the first couple of days, she, she is a wonderful passer. She's hitting her shots. She has speed to go by people and get to the rim and get fouled, which is obviously a very useful skill to have as a guard. Mm-hmm. Um, the one drawback, and it's, I mean, Dawn Staley talked about the two things that got her cut from the 1992 Olympic team. One was her height, and two was um, lack of international experience. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I can't fix my height, but I can fix the international experience. Well, Jordan Canada's got the height problem also, so to speak. And maybe that holds her back, maybe not. She's got other things that she can do. There have obviously been a bunch of pros that are um, smaller guards, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was impressive. I mean, she got around some really good guards and really quick guards to the basket without too much trouble. So I, I think she's got a really bright future for this year as her in college and then down the road in the W. Do you think what we're seeing out of Mariah Jefferson helps a player like Canada? Because you're right. I mean, the name of the game for scouts so often is comps. Um... I mean, Jefferson before this year when her knee hasn't bothered her, yeah, that yeah. definitely she had a wonderful rookie season. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Canada's been good. It's funny, I have a story coming out on Friday about the WNBA and the, the lack of teams that were there actually watching this camp, which right. I found strange because it's a chance for the top 36 players in college basketball who you're going to be drafting and doing stuff with the next two or three years. Right. And there's only three teams there. So you would think that you have more teams there to watch the best the best play against each other since that's more realistic than going to watch a college game where maybe you get a potential WNBA matchup, but maybe not. Right. So I think the ones that were there were impressed by her. The ones I talked to um, thought she had a definite potential, and we'll see what happens. Do you think that that's the answer, or is the real answer a WNBA combine at some point? I, I mean, it, not just for purely evaluation reasons either, but you think about how much of the hype for the NBA comes from these players who are being talked about as the future long before they ever arrive. Well, I think timing the issue of that. When could you potentially do it? Right. And since the draft is right after the season, the college season's over, there's maybe a week period in there, maybe mm-hmm. two weeks, sometimes less. I don't know if there'd be time to do it. And if you do it during the Final Four, well, you could be missing eight to ten of the top players who are still playing in the Final Four. Right. So yeah, That's true. I, I, that's, that's may, maybe maybe it's preseason. Maybe it's pre. You know, maybe it's something that happens in November, December. It's not ideal maybe. because it's uh, you know before you have a full year of development. But it's it's obviously better than the current system, which makes it uh, very difficult to do. 
but also, look, in, in the teams that weren't there, I should be honest and say that it's the first year they've done this, so no one kind of knew what to expect out of it. Right. I didn't know what to expect when I got there, and it would turn to be a great experience. So maybe next year, they do it again two years from now, maybe all 12 teams show up. But yeah. the key thing, which I think is important, when I, when I first tweeted that out there, I got people saying, well, it's financial, they don't want to pay the money, they're too cheap. That had nothing to do with it. And the teams I talked to, I talked to most of the teams already, right. finances had nothing to do why they didn't go there. And they're in season, there are various other reasons they didn't show up. But it wasn't that this league can't afford to have 10 people out there to go watch. No, of course. Of course not. And and it's really going to be interesting to see the way this develops because, like you said, there's a real opportunity. By the way, I am going to just uh, circle back to throw that number at you. Jordan Canada's assist percentage uh, was eighth in the nation last year and the only among the players in the top 30 who had a better turnover percentage than she did were Fionda Fitzgerald of, of uh, then of Temple and Alexis Peterson then of Syracuse uh, both of whom uh, ended up in the W this year uh, so it's interesting that she was able to do that even before reaching her senior season something definitely to watch for but yes like you said eye test is important as well and I believe in a holistic approach so I'm with you on that Let, let's talk about some of the downside uh, of a camp like this it's very limited but there is this issue of injuries talk to me about what you saw and uh, what you think if anything can be done about it I mean, it's part of the sport. It was just unfortunate. Tonight, a page of, of Penn State uh, fractured and dislocated her ankle mm-hmm. on Thursday, which is an injury that, I mean, it's part of the game. It just happened. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't prevent it. It just was an unfortunate. The one unfortunate thing that happened at the camp, I think there have been a couple other potential injuries that might have happened, but that was the major one that everyone was left talking about because they had to take away in an ambulance. Just unfortunate, um, fortunate, un- unfortunate situation. Um, it's the one downside in any camp. I mean, when Paul George before the Olympics a couple years ago got hurt in Vegas, I think it was when he mm-hmm. ran into the the stanchion or the photographer, like that, it happens. It's part of playing a sport. But that was the one fear I guess they could have of a coach sending a kid to this, and obviously the the thing didn't work out and such. And I'm so sorry for her and for Penn State and, and I hope she recovers quickly but that's the one downside that, that happened and potentially any camp you have. Do you, do you think it's a different question when you're talking about A, college kids and B, uh, kids who would potentially be going into the WNBA uh, and facing, you know, not having the kind of guaranteed money that someone like a Paul George would have, somebody who, you know, comes to the NBA even on a rookie contract. Do you think that changes the balance at all? Um, I don't think so. I mean, maybe they think a little bit more about it, but I, I, I got to think that if you live your life worrying about getting hurt, you're probably going to get hurt, hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And I, I just think, I mean, it's it was just an unfortunate play. I didn't see it, to be honest. I was, I was already back in New York. I just flown back that morning. Um, so I didn't see the play actually happen, but I mean, it's basketball. I mean, people get hurt. Think about how many ACL injuries there have been in in women's basketball over the last 20 years or even the last two years that people get hurt. So it's just an unfortunate part of basketball and a sport. And that's, I said, the one downer of this camp that someone would take away as a wild kid got hurt. It was just terrible for her and terrible for Penn State, but it's part of playing the sport. Yep. Unfortunately is the case. It really... Really is a sad thing to see, but uh, certainly the 
net gain from all of this, I agree with you, seems to be enormous, and I'm really glad you were there to document it. Uh, one other thing before I let you go that I really want to make sure we talk about uh, is a story you have out about the new WNBA players who are going to be part of the NBA Live franchise. I, I saw you talk to Kayla McBride, you talked to Brianna Stewart. Was the level of excitement from the players sort of off the charts the way it seemed to be? Everyone was excited to tweet about it. Everyone seemed really eager to talk about it. And what do you think that says about what this move means? You know, it's funny. It's generational, so to speak. And it's funny to say that with WNBA because they're all pretty young still in my mind. Right. The young ones like a Brianna Stewart or McBride were thrilled. Like, they played video games growing up, and they still play. I mean, McBride was going, talked to me yesterday about 25 minutes about her gaming prowess. <laughs> So they were they were thrilled, and obviously they were everyone's tweeting about it. it. It's tremendous. I mean, it's about time that you finally got a WNBA players in a in an NBA game, yes. and they I think it's all it's tremendous. It's getting a whole new group of people who might become fans of the players, fans of the league. It, it's great. And then just on the other end of it, I talked to Diane Taurasi today when I was up at um, Connecticut for their game tonight against Phoenix, and I was like, you know, what do you think? She's like, well, I never lose a game, or it's great that they have this now. It's awesome. I was like, well, how do you feel about how you're going to be rated? She's like, well, I care about what the rating in my head, not what some random person puts me as. And she used a couple other colorful words that I won't say on this podcast <laughs> that were thrown in there. But that's the thing. I mean, Diane Taurasi is in the mid-30s and doesn't know anything about video games, whereas Stewie's 22 and a couple of other younger players like Boyette all loved it because they still right. play. And it's great. And it's going to, I think, create a buzz and an interest and get people more excited. I mean, when I was a kid, I loved playing video games. There was no question about it. It didn't matter. I mean, I couldn't play a WNBA player, but if they were in the game, I definitely would have because it's just been something fun to do. I, I desperately want there to be a WNBA jam, and that would allow me to access this in a way that, I, as someone also in my mid-30s, uh, would allow me to fully embrace because I... I I absolutely understand that not only have I not played these games, I think I would have a great deal of difficulty even using the controller uh, because it's so much more complicated than the Nintendo and Super Nintendo I grew up with. So uh, that generational divide makes sense. It also makes sense to me that this matters to reach a new and broader audience. And do you see it within the framework of that in the same way that we're seeing Daily Fantasy, that this is the WNBA reaching out to potential new and uh, potential new fans, but also to take fans who are casual and be able to immerse them more fully in the experience of the league. hundred uh, percent agree with you. I think it's been a tremendous job by Lisa Borders and her group this year and getting out and trying to find new audiences or new ways to get audiences to watch the game. And the Twitter live was great. I mean, they said they're averaging over 800,000 people, which yeah. is tremendous. And they also, the FanDuel stuff and the Daily Fantasy with uh, DraftKings, the both sites, they've been pretty good. People have been really involved and interested in bringing some new fans. I mean, I talked to a guy last night for a story, and he was saying that he didn't really watch the NBA before. Casually, it was like he might glance at it, but he went out and bought League Pass because now he's playing for money, and it's something that he wants to do and wants to be successful at. And do that, he's got to watch the games and learn who the players are. And while he's doing that, he's actually enjoying it. It's not just about winning money. It's, you know what, they can play basketball pretty well. Yeah. So, to me, mission accomplished with those two things. And now with the video game, I mean, now you have little kids who are going to probably do this. I mean, probably 
I don't know, 9 to 17 or 18 is the target audience for NBA Live, maybe, something like that. And now they're going to start knowing who these WMA players are. And they're going to want to be the next Brianna Stewart or the next Caleb McBride or the next Diane Rossi or whoever it may be. So why not? You have nothing to lose. So see what happens. Yeah. And, and you know, I remember it was a thing Gino said uh, during the Final Four, one of the press conferences. It was apropos of nothing, but it was something like there's not going to be parity between the men's and the women's game until people are betting vast sums of money on women's basketball. And it was just this sort of throwaway line that he talked about, but it really stuck with me. And I keep thinking about it every time I see this daily fantasy doing as well as it is. So I think you're right. It's a, another access point. I also am really amused by the idea that American treasure Kayla McBride spent 25 minutes talking to you about her game and prowess. I think that is uh, indicative of who she is and very entertaining. Yeah. And uh, it, it just—it it, it, it speaks to the enthusiasm. It really does. There's—you're—you're you're right. There's going to be a generation of people who are going to grow up knowing not just who Brianna Stewart is, but what it means to have her on the court. And I think that, uh, you know, in in a in a virtual way. And I, I think that will make an enormous difference. Well, Doug Feinberg. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, you know, obviously, make sure you follow Doug on Twitter. Uh, at Doug Feinberg, is that correct? That is correct. Easy enough to remember. And obviously read him everywhere because the Associated Press is everywhere. Doug, thank you so much for everything that you do uh, for the game of women's basketball. You too, my friend. Thanks for having me on, as always. A pleasure. And just a reminder to our listeners that you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, download the app, make sure you rate and review us. I'm Howard Meddahl, wishing you a wonderful day.